Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey, everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier, and you are listening to episode 176 of the MyFit Podcast. This week on the show, I welcome back Shane Orr. Shane is the husband and coach of fittest female of all time, Tia Claire Toomey, as well as owner of Proven Fitness. Shane is an incredibly brilliant and humble coach who takes a very mindful and professional approach when coaching his athletes. Shane has also been an integral part in the growth of Proven Fitness, which has established themselves as one of the most sought after online programs. Proven is also making a big splash in 2022 by sending five individual athletes to the CrossFit Games. I talked to Shane on the show on the show about a year ago, so about a month leading into the CrossFit Games, and it's been really fun to get to know him more and kind of talk to him around this time of year where things start to pick up as games training is in full force. Some of the topics we got into were first, what is training for the CrossFit Games look like? What does it look like now when the game time is coming and stakes are a little bit higher? After that, we talked about the importance of training with intention. Again, if you follow me, follow the show, if you listen to the latest episode with Andre Houdet, you know that the importance of intention is super crucial. I know we talked about this last year when Shane was working closely with Matt Frazier, and that was one of the biggest things he talked about was being professional and training with intention. After that, we talked about the four principles of servant leadership and how that shows up in Shane's life. Then we talked about measuring success as a coach and measuring success for your athletes. After that, we talked about how to balance relationships and coaching. Shane obviously coaches and is married to Tia. I was curious on how does he blend the lines of being a coach and also a husband? After that, we got into some nitty gritty of programming, talking about the framework for developing skills in CrossFit and specifically the ring muscle up. And let me close down by a topic that I think we could have went on for a couple hours on is becoming a balanced champion. Is it possible to live a balanced life and still be a champion? Or do you have to be obsessed or very passionate and um, all in on one subject in order to be a champion? It's a great conversation. I think I provided some really good food for thought. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, please leave a rating, review, refer it to a friend, or post it on your Instagram. Your five-star feedback helps the show grow tremendously and also helps to bring on more amazing guests like Shane. Thank you all for your continued support. Enjoy this episode with Shane Orr. MyFit Podcast is brought to you by Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. With none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, and no BS. Healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. And it makes sense. You lose both water and sodium when you sweat. So both need to be replaced to prevent things like muscle cramps, headaches, and energy dips. There are several flavors to choose from. My favorite is the citrus salt, which is how I start every single day. And as listeners of the MyFit podcast, you can now receive a free element sample pack with any order by using the link www.drinkelement.com forward slash MyFit. Again, that's www.drinklmnt.com forward slash M-I-F-I-T. Go get yours now. Jane Orr, welcome back to the MyFit Podcast for round two. I had you on last year at about the same time, right before the games. We had a great conversation. It ended up being the number one most downloaded episode of all time for the MyFit Podcast. And I'm stoked to have you back on for round two today. Awesome. And that's so awesome to hear about the uh, success in the last one. I'm actually surprised people want to hear me. So I appreciate that. Or maybe it's you. 
certainly is you. I'm just, I'm just uh, trying to fill in the blanks for sure. Very cool, man. So we're about a month out from the games. Exciting time of the year for CrossFit athletes and coaches and fans. Tell me a little bit about what is what does life look like right now? Um, how are you guys preparing? Just take me a little bit inside. What is what is a, a day in the life look like for you right now? Sure. So, um, so after the semifinals, we we had a mandatory rest, and that obviously varied depending on when the athletes were competing. Uh, maybe I'll just talk about Tia since she was week one. So she had she had eight days off just over a week because including our our Monday rest day anyway. Um, and it just started again with early progression. So we how we've staggered or built the building foundations for the games, it's about an eight-week period for her. So we spent two weeks in the building phase, and that's going back to fundamentals, working on lower percentages, introducing a lot of these um, – common movement, not common movements, but movements we more than likely see at the games. And then we go through an intensification period, just means throw everything at them and see what sticks, sort of, so to speak. And then we'll go through our taper period, which takes place uh, on the 20, I think it's the 24th or 25th of uh, July. And then obviously the games is on the third, third or the second. I don't know. It like, depends because with the game, sometimes they'll do like a, a time trial or, or, or a seating. So sometimes they're required to do some form of activity on the day before. Um, so what a day what a day to day looks like right now. Volume is was certainly better at highest peak. Um, and again, taking you back to the open, well, what what that would look like is that a lot of our day would consist of about five to six pieces. That's including warm-up too and a lot of resting between. So we're looking at ourselves at about two and a half hours worth of work there. Um, and then we find ourselves ramping up for quarterfinals and semifinals. Not too much difference between quarter and semis because quarters, we're sort of punching through that and looking at the semifinals. So we're probably doing about seven to eight pieces there. And that, that would probably take a, a good three, three and a half, sometimes four, depending on the aerobic pieces. And then now that with the games coming up, um, that that stretches out to about nine, sometimes ten, and the occasion times eleven pieces. And again, this includes like our warm up, um, some of our stabilizations or prehab exercise as well, just because of the volume. And the days they blow out pretty large. Um, so for instance, yesterday the guys got up and did a six a.m. swim session, which is done by a local organization here. It's like focused on triathletes. So they spent. Um, just under three kilometers worth of swimming there. Then at, that goes for about, let's call that 90 minutes. And then at 11 a.m., they meet up and do some track and agility work. So that spends, they spend about 90 minutes there. And then at the gym, we meet up at 1.30. And then obviously, we just catch up on a lot of our lifting, progressions, um, metcons. And then that wrapped up, uh, don't quote me, but I'd say, let's just call it close to 7 p.m. So for the most part, um, training volume or training hours spent at the gym. And what I consider that is from the day we, from the moment we walk into the moment we walk out, just like a normal job, right? Clocking in, clocking out. Um, from averaging, we're looking at eight to 10 hours. And that's, and a lot of that's just resting as well. So they are big days for sure. Uh, mentally grueling is sort of the, uh, the theme that we're pushing towards as well. Just what we found is that particularly late in the Coliseum, some of the events require obviously a, a large amount of power output, but the energy or the uh, motivation may not be there. So it's sort of stimulating that or make, making yourself heightened at the right time in the afternoon is a big part of our training lately as well. I think another part too is, and this just comes from my competing experience and recently at the Granite Games, we had some events that were pretty late, six o'clock and, and late. That's mm -hmm. late for me, right? I go to bed at yeah. 30 or 10 o'clock. I think one of the key parts is learning how to down-regulate afterwards. We had a snatch ladder at, at, at the Granite Games, a lot of adrenaline, super fun. Everything went really well, hit the last bar. And it was like, I was on a high for a majority of that night. Yeah. Do you have any, Is do you, do you guys try to practice that? Is that why you guys try to go late as well to practice okay now you just got off of a big high how do we come down down regulate so we can come back tomorrow because that's a part of competing too for sure sure yeah that's a big part as well what we found uh, especially on these late ones would introduce like the ice bath or do like a hot a contrast hot cold hot cold um, that 
that seems to put the athlete back at ease or allows their body to slow down a lot, especially with the ice bath. Um, and then we allow the athlete to work, identify and work out what works for them, um, especially with nutrition, the food selection they have to ho hopefully like slow release protein, allow them to fall asleep, feel comfortable. Um, and secretly what we try to do is allow them to work it out. Like that's, that's our objective to train late to simulate a lot of the competition environment, but we're allowing them that we're at this period. And a lot of these guys are veterans, right? Like I'm, uh, we've only got, I think one athlete, what's well, first time at the games, but being very competitive for a long time. So it's maybe we're having more conversations with him, but for the other guys, they've been to the games a few times, so they know what to expect. And I think a lot of our, all our workouts have a purpose or a reason why. And then even some of our reasons why actually carry over for the next day. So for instance, if we're doing a bulk lot of toe -to bar or grip intensive workout, I will stipulate at the start going, guys, right? So this is actually just the, uh, this is actually, this is as, sorry, this isn't actually the main portion of the, uh, the test. It's actually tomorrow to see how you back up with your forearm fatigue. And that's the challenge for you guys tonight. Your homework is to obviously, Prepare yourself, know that know what's coming, like you would at the games, and then um, be prepared for tomorrow. And I'll, I'll leave them with that homework, so to speak. Shane, I've been recording uh, 100, this is 100, episode 175, and over this three and a half years, I've talked to a lot of high achievers in CrossFit and outside of CrossFit, sports psychologists. A word that keeps coming up time after time, and one that I really resonate with, is this idea of intention having intention with what you do. And I was cruising your Instagram and you had a quote that really aligns with it. it says, we attend for every moment spent in training to be intentional. When you know the intent or purpose, it becomes easier to focus on where you are going. Talk to me a little bit about why intention is so important for you guys and so important for the success that you, Tia, and Proven has had. What, is, what does intent yeah. mean to you? Yeah. So I think it, um, it resonates. It's important for me to know where I'm going. And it's important for them to know where they're going. So I want them, especially athletes, to understand and identify that everything has an intention and that if we're aware of it, they become they buy into it a lot more. So they'll, so to speak, as an athlete, they'll sell themselves a little bit more because they know what they're doing and they know how to approach it or what the stimulus is intended for. Uh, for me, intention is that every day that if I'm ever challenged by them and I want them to challenge me, like ask me why, what, what's, what's the purpose of what we're trying to achieve in this? I want, I need to have an answer and it has to be clear and they identify with it as well. That I need to make sure that the intention every day has a purpose. And particularly now where it feels like we're in the trenches, it's just groundhog, just day to day, just bashing each other into the ground. But I need them to remember what, stand up, stick up and look around and go, this is why we're doing the intention, why we're doing the long days. The intention is so that we're prepared when we go in on August the 3rd. So intention is huge. Mm -hmm. I think intention also, it probably magnifies now when you're 30 days out, but tell me a little bit about intention during what some people would call the off season. You have a very yeah. uh, calculated approach to how the year looks where I think some people in the space might think, well, they're just doing CrossFit every day. They're just, they're just doing yeah. random CrossFit workouts, but there's really intention and linear progressions to what you're doing. So talk to me a little about outside of the 30 days leading into the CrossFit games, where does yeah. intention fall into place there? For sure. I think it's also a intention for that period depends on the athlete as well, right? So there may be an off-season uh, competition coming up. So the intention is certainly different. But for the most part, and part, generally speaking, uh, we're, we're shifting towards the open. Intention then shifts, right? We then work on areas which, which they need improvement on. Not necessarily weaknesses. I like to try reframe the word to improvements on. And then once we have a sit down with the athlete and we identify what their plans are, that makes intentions a lot easier, right? So they know what they're signing up for because this is what they request. This is what they want to achieve. So we're just building a pathway for them to get to that point. So um, intensity is a lot less, obviously, in the off season. Um, and and maximizing the time outside the gym is huge, you know, just like any other professional sport, right? So if you look at, for instance, all the NBA players right now have just completed that. I'm sure they're just making the most of it in Cancun or doing whatever they normally do, right? But, and that's what I 
how I view CrossFit as well, especially for these athletes. I want to make sure that we talk about longevity. Um, going in the days is after after CrossFit games, you go straight into the gym the next day and you hit out a workout, right? So it's we're trying to create a culture of professionalism and then that we put the work in when we need it and then we can rest hard knowing that we put everything into it. I think it's a good reminder too for coaches to communicate the intention because as an athlete, as a coach and an athlete, Shane, I I, I get bought more bought in when my coach is telling me about what the intention is of the session. I'm a, I I feel like I can push harder because I know exactly what we're trying to get out of it. So as a coach and coaches out there listening, I think being able to explain to your athletes what the intention is is an easy way to almost pull more pull pull more out of your athlete. For sure, DJ. And I agree with that as well. Um, a big part of what we've been doing a lot of with our workouts is that we'll have a primary focus and a secondary focus. And that allows them to uh, identify, okay, this is this is the crux of the workout we're actually primary focusing on. And the secondary, you know, if you're feeling good or whatever, this is the second component of what you can think about. We, we, we experimented with like adding one, two or three or four steps. But that starts getting blurred with the athlete. And, and you know what that's like. Three, two, one, go. And just like, Everything switches off. So we just try to make a clear goal, one one or two things to focus on throughout this workout and then go about it. Very cool. Um, so as I've gotten to know you, Shane, and listen to some of your stuff, one of the things that I keep coming back to is this idea that of you being a servant leader. You're somebody that are servant coach. You're somebody that you you don't want the limelight. You put your athletes first all the time. I think it's it's super admirable and it's something that works really well for you. And I was reading this uh, article about servant leadership in, pre- in preparation for this article and or for this conversation. And they talked about their four principles of servant leadership. And I want to go through each one and I want to see kind of what that looks like and how it resonates with you. And the first one, Shane, is is encourage diversity of thought. Be ever learning and open-minded. So it's intentional, again, being intentional about who's in your circle, who's in your camp, making sure you're always open to other people's advice and you're bringing people in from different areas. So it's not just one way of thinking. Tell me a little bit about how encouraging diversity of thought resonates with you. And I I love that. I think that could have been more true on a lot of things that we implement as well. Um, for instance, I, I lean on the athletes and their background and their sporting backgrounds. For instance, um, with Will's track background, Will Morad's track background, I want to lean on him and ask him, hey, what, what does feeling fit look like for you? So at the end of the day, I need him to be mentally prepared as well. And if he goes, you know what, Shane, I'm hitting, I'm hitting 102s for 400s by 10. I know I'm fit. I mean, great. I'm going to lean on that. And that's the same thing we did with, with Tia, understanding her track background, utilizing that. Um, and then also, like at the end of the day, what I love about CrossFit, it's so broad, but then we're not specialists in anything. So I love to lean on weightlifting coaches, getting feedback from them, reaching out to them. Um, obviously, small, small things that we've done yesterday with the swimming, we worked with a triathlete coach uh, on swimming and progressions on that. I'm not here, and I, I encourage the athletes. Like I'm not here to tell you that I know it all. But what I'll do is I'll I'll do my best to find the answers, and I'll challenge whoever it is so that we get the best results or we chase better or perfection. Mm-hmm. It's super admirable, Shane. I think a lot of people would see you as the most successful or winningest coach in our sport. Yet you're the one telling me that you're open to learning from other people and bringing in other coaches and reading other things. I think it's something that every coach can hear a time, time and time again. Even the guy at the top here is saying, "No, this is not just about me. I want to learn about learn from other people." Yeah, no, that's true. I think it's about evolution as well, evolving, evolving, and adapting as well. Like the sports progressed significantly. Um, and fortunately, we're, I'm, at the, I'm at the point where I'm helping move the needle. So I want to make sure that I'm learning or at least paving the way for the next generation to understand where the limitations were so they can push those boundaries as well. So that's why I need to lean, lean on other people like strength and conditioning coaches. Ask them what we can do to push that needle as far as we can. The second principle was create a culture of trust. Super interested to hear how you create a culture of trust. I think for you, some of it probably comes pretty easy because you coach Tia and, and people want to be like Tia and have that. But for, you know, I'm sure there are also days where you just got to say, hey, I need you to trust me. How do you create a culture of trust? Yes, for sure. I think being vulnerable to begin with as well, telling them that you don't know everything helps significantly. Um, but when you feel confident, they can read that. Um, I've also played around with the thought 
and heard similar stories as well. That the first year, when you work with the new athlete, the first year is about building their trust or getting their trust on on board, right? Like it's, and you you expect the athlete to have walls up and go, this isn't how I've been doing it for the last five years, you know, and I've had a lot of success the last five years. So why should I do this? So it's it's slowly chipping away at that, building on that trust. The second year, which I love, is that. They've just had a full season with you. They believe now. They've bought into what you're trying to say. And then that's when the wall comes down and you see more vulnerability from the athlete. And then that's when you know you got their trust as well, when you see, when you see it reciprocated as well. Um, trust is huge, especially in a small team environment, right? I'm sure you appreciate that as well with your team at Granite Games. It's, you want to make sure that they can speak to you and, and allow you to allow them to have an open forum if they have any discussions they need to have as well. So it's, I think vulnerability is a big part in that. Yeah, that's really good advice. I think another part that I really like to lean on for trust is, uh, is the idea of consistency. I think we all like somebody who is consistent in how they show up, the programming. I mean, there's a lot of things you can be consistent in. And we as humans, we really like predictability. It's just something we're yeah. comfortable with. We don't like something that's that's new to us. So as coaches, I think one way to be to create more trust is just to be consistent in everything you do, either whether that's in the gym or out of the gym. How does that resonate with you? Yeah, so that's a big thing for sure. Consistency is huge, uh, even with that progressions or linear progressions as well. So that that seems to that seems to be uh, a common thread that would a thread trend in our programming that which would which they would see um, consistency for me as well. If we're talking about that is being there as well on a day to day basis. You know, if they're going to put in the work, I need to be there as well. I don't think there's an excuse if I can't be there. Obviously, if there is, I'm sure I'll let them know. But for the most part, if they're gonna if they're gonna sell themselves in a workout or they're gonna put in the progression of the time, so should the coaching staff. Um, and that's that trust as well. Like we're going through it together, so to speak. You know, that's where that culture comes in, the team environment. We're all we're all going through this. Some harder than others for sure. But yeah. The third principle of the servant leadership from the article said, have an unselfish mindset. And in quotes, it says, it's not about you. And this is this, mm. I think, is you to a T, man. I mean, there there's so many social media posts on proven on your website, and you're you're hardly in any of them, man. You are you're you and, and, and you prefer that. You prefer your your athletes to be the center of attention. This isn't about you. Talk to me about why that's so important for you. Yeah. So I think I think that it's it's certainly not about me. Like the whole objective or how I'm wired is I want to serve, I want to help people get to the best of their ability. And um, by them achieving that, that's probably where I get my selfish benefit out of it. It's because I know they've hit limitations that they didn't see within themselves. So we worked on that together and they deserve the praise because they're, they're the ones that physically went through it all. So I'm, I'm big on that. Um, and it's, and I didn't do it for me to begin with. Like a story with Tierna, it started with I felt like I could help her, and then it just naturally, organically found that way. And I think that's just how wide for the most part, for sure. So I think what you find, DJ, I like to deflect. If anything about me, I like to deflect the conversation and turn it away. So. That's and you know what? Option. I've and I've noticed that in in several of your interviews, it's admirable. It's, it's a trait that I want to take on, and I want other people to take on too. Because you're, you're you've almost got it down to an art, Shane. How you're <laughs> able to deflect some of the things, but that's that's what a servant coach or a servant leadership does, right? They get interviewed and they just want to pass it off and give credit where credit is due, or give credit to somebody else. I appreciate that. <laughs> cool. Uh, the fourth and last principle was. Um, of, of servant leadership was fostering leadership in others. Tell me how you do that. Do you, how do you bring more, how do you bring your team up? So it's not just you, that you're the only leader in the gym. Sure. And I think this is huge as well. Um, I think this is a really big one that I've been thinking a lot on recently. Um, so for me, I want, there's a big aspect with athletes as well that I'm so intrigued about what they do or the decisions they make outside of the gym, right? And, and how, that, how that can have an impact with themselves within the gym. Um, an example of that is like, I want them to take ownership or, or show, show signs of, well, leadership, right? Like outside and inside the gym. So when we have new recruits coming in to our camp or our stable, 
I'd love for those athletes, what we currently have on a day-to-day basis, to take charge, show them the ropes and show them this is hey, this is how we do it. If you need anything, come see me. And this is the expectations because I'm going to do, I'm going to lead by example and show you what that looks like. Um, that's been a huge part for me because I, and I'm sure you've heard it as well. The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So that's, that's a big component, which I believe as well, that how you conduct yourself in the gym is more than likely how you're going to conduct yourself outside the gym. So I want to make sure that the people around me, if they can get anything from me is that they absorb and absorb the good out of me. And then they hopefully express that as well. And I think, um, the book that you shared with me last time, a big part of that was um, athletes are more likely to learn things from visual than they are from hearing. So that's been a big part, which I've taken away from it as well. Yeah, very cool. I think I think one of the biggest parts, or maybe people don't think about this, it could be a misconception about coaching in general is 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 building the person, not just the athlete. I talked yeah. to Ben Bergeron recently about the idea of transformational coach versus a transactional coach. And the transformational coach wants to transform who you are outside of the gym, transform your character, your person. Transactional coach is much more X's and O's. We're getting better at the pick and roll. If it's basketball, we're getting ready. At, we're getting uh, specific on drill work. How do you relate to some of that? Uh, is, is that where we talk about fostering leadership is I want to build your person, your character outside of the gym? For sure. I think there's a time and place, for it, right? So the athletes, They've got their own battles going on, day-to-day struggles, and they've got their training volume to get through as well. So I think um, timing your runs is a significant component um, within that. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like that's a big, big part as well as identifying when the time to do that. And that's why, you know, as a leader, you must, you must be constant and understand that everything you do is, is watched and that you want to, you want to just make sure that you create the culture for them to be leaders as well. Absolutely. Because I think too, the parts of your life where you are competing and able to do that is in the grand scheme of life, it's, it's probably pretty small for most people. So we have to be able to kind of build characteristics and build those things for when you are outside of CrossFit or outside of being a professional athlete, because that's going to carry you much further than maybe, maybe the five years that you get um, on top of the podium. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, tough one for you here but how do you define success as a coach Um, the easiest measurement tool that we use is uh, comparing their results the previous year right that's a metric which seems to be easy to to measure meaning that if for instance if they're PRing more than they were last year that's a quite quite easy bearing or metric and success, obviously, for each athlete looks different, right? Um, meaning that they've gone through different scenarios. Um, let's just look within our camp for sure. Like we've got, we've got the likes of Tia. Obviously, she knows what success looks like for her and, and her metrics and bearings and that. And then we've got an athlete like Brooke Wells. You know, she's just come back from a significant uh, injury, which a large portion of the people, even professional uh, medical opinions, said that she wouldn't be back to where the state she is. So. Success looks differently from year to year. Um, but for me, success is just making sure that the athletes feel and prepared for the best of their ability, right? Like I, I want them to know that the space that they, they've been at the entire year was worth it and that they're proud of what they've produced. And, uh, and again, that comes back to looking different for each of them. And uh, it's also for me, it's connecting with them and having that, that relationship with them to make sure that, you know, like I'm essentially there if they need it as well, because that looks different for each of them as well. Talk to me more about that. Yeah. So it's because of, because of the journeys are quite extreme. Like, again, we'll use the two, two athletes that we just spoke about. Obviously, one of them is my wife. And I want to make sure that she knows that I'm not just there as a coach. I'm actually there as a husband as well. And I want to remind her, hey, this journey started with you and I, so to speak. And then I want to make sure that that's intact as well. Well, that's built or that we've built a better foundation or a better relationship because of this. And then we look at it, obviously, Brooke. She came from, uh, from last year. She, she came from an injury that rid her off for the entire year. And, and it's building that athlete up to, to have that mindset or to have that, that network to know that, hey, 
we're on the right path. This we're trending in the right direction. You've done all the work you need to do, Brooke. You're, you're excelling in everything that you're not meant to. So great work in achieving and celebrating that, and and obviously the struggles that come with it, right? Like you know, like for instance, leading to the quarterfinals. Um, her limitations, even from the doctors, was like, "Hey, don't exceed eighty percent of your one RMs. Like your your elbow hasn't fully healed yet." So it's like a cra- crap that this is a limitation. So we're sort of crossed our fingers, hoping the workouts wouldn't highlight this. And um, and obviously, it came up with a few workouts that tested it with the total. So you know, like having limitations like that. And but I think where the breakthrough was in that scenario was just having having the real conversations, you know, and and building them up to succeed mentally is a big part as well. And and as much as the accolades are phenomenal, and I know that means a lot, having multiple athletes on the podium or winning the CrossFit Games, that's huge, but eventually that will fade, you know, and it's the relationships that will, that will forever last, in my eyes anyway. Very cool. Uh, is it ever... <sighs> How much is this? Is there? Is it ever a downfall, or is it ever not a good idea to rest solely on the numbers? I, and what I mean by that, Shane, is so one of the ways you you look at success is if you go from tenth to fifth or something mm-hmm. like that. But what happens, Shane, if somebody goes from fifth to tenth, but they say to you, "I thought I performed better. Um, I was happy with my execution, but my number or my my placing was just worse than last year." I think CrossFit is such a unique sport, Shane, because there's no defense in this sport. It's not, yeah. it's not, it's not the NBA where I'm going one on one with you back and forth. There's no defense. I can't control the workouts. I can't control um, uh, and my competitors around me. So For sometimes sure. is that a tricky metric? Do you try to be wary of that? Yeah. So I think maybe for metric, what I was referring to is more like okay, if you you're, you're running. You've just run your fastest mile. You've just run your fastest 10K. You know, your one RM back squat is substantially higher than last year. Great. We're trending their metrics, showing it or indicating clearly that you're in a better spot than you were 12 months ago. When it comes to the leaderboard, for sure, that's a tricky one to play with. Um, and again, it comes back to case to case, right? There's athletes that don't even look at it the entire CrossFit games. And they just know by the heat they're in roughly or the lane. So they know, like, it's pretty obvious. Um, but the for for that in a, in an instance where they go from fifth to to tenth, that happens as well. Like it all depends on the programming to some of these athletes as well. And that's again, that's case to case and, and how you navigate that conversation. And for instance, like Sydney Wells, Brooke Wells' sister, she has come leaps and bounds further than than she did the previous year. She couldn't even. She couldn't even string ring muscle ups last year. This time last year, wow. and then she found herself doing completing the ring muscle up workout thirty in middle of a workout. She didn't get. She got a worse placing, or she finished the same she did last year at the uh, West Coast Classic. But she is leaps and bounds further ahead. And and then again, that's when we fall back to the metrics of going. Look, don't get consumed by this. You're not identified of one workout or a placing in a workout the work that you put in the entire year and you got to reinforce that and show that and go this is who you were this is how far you've come let's celebrate this this unfortunately just didn't play out the way you wanted to and that's that's the beauty and the beast of crossfit you know that's uncontrollable it's not like a hundred meter sprint if you're running sub 10 you're doing great and if you're running 11 so you're just not ready right so it's it's not like that. So yeah, navigating those conversations is a big part of that. Yeah. Because sometimes you could go out on the floor. I'm sure you've had this experience with your athletes and they absolutely crushed the workout compared to when they tested it. Everything went to plan. Execution was perfect. And they end up with a middle of the pack score. And I think yeah. the conversation needs to be very delicate of like, look, I know, I know it's not the place you want to maybe be, but think about your execution. That's what you can control your effort. That was sure. most important, not necessarily how other people did. And as an athlete, I appreciate a coach giving me that perspective, but it's also tough as a competitor. You're like, yeah. man, I want to do better though. I want to be in the top five, yeah. even though this was the best I got. How do you, how do you balance that? Yeah, I think there's a time and place for it for sure. Um, I know after every semifinals or what, sorry, semifinals of games, we do a big debrief. We'll allow them to ponder on it, sit on it for a week or three, depending on our availability. 
And then we just go through each event and then we just break it down and ask them, hey, what were you thinking? What's going on? And all that. But during the event, it's important that we just, hey, we put that aside, accept it for what it is. The challenge now is to move on and forget about it. You know, we're back to square one. Every, even, if, even if they have a successful story, they just smash it out of the park. Um, again, looking at Tia, if she wins an event, it's like, hey, well done. We got to move on to the next one. We just, we just don't have time, or I don't want to put energy into that unless it's unless it's needed to. Uh, but for the most part, it's like we must we must put that aside. Phenomenal job. Let's do a cool down. Let's go through our ritual system. Cool down, uh, food, rest, and then let's get ready to repeat this one. Um, and then we try to instill that in training, right? Like it's again. You're not identified by one bad workout. That, that, that isn't who you are. Right, let's move on to the next one. This is the challenging part. This is what we encourage through training. It's like, okay, this is the culture we're trying to do. It's, we do one workout. We learn from it. We move on. We must forget that and disconnect ourselves thinking that if something went bad, that isn't who you are and we just got to move on. Good advice. Awesome. You're in a unique spot, Shane, where you coach not only your wife, but uh, people that you would also, I'm sure, call your friends. I'm curious, how do you find the balance? We talked about communicating and the art of coaching. How do you balance your constructive criticism with your athletes and then also be friends with them when the time is to be friends with them? How do you how do you go back and forth between those two? I can imagine it's challenging with your wife, but I can imagine it's always challenging also with your friend with your friends as well. How do you put on two different hats at the same time? For sure. I think there's a time and place. I think um, when they know we're in the gym and they know the roles that we're playing, right? This is athlete, this is coach, and we're identifying that. Um, they can see that or, or I hope that they can identify the difference. But the biggest part is, is with constructive criticism is timing as well. That execution on that has been a big part of learning, especially for a coach, right? It's um, it's not like we're, we've got one hour to play with, like a, a t- the typical CrossFit class, and you just must not hound, but you give them the cue, you watch and see, then, you know, reevaluate. For, for my role, knowing, knowing the progressions and knowing that I'm going to see them, I'll just pick the time. So when, once they do the workout and it, it's more of a one-on-one scenario, I'll just pull them aside going, hey, this is what I noticed and identified. What's up? And then we have those conversations. I don't want to try it. Unless it's a learning that we can all benefit from in the group, like say we all do the same workout, I'll address it in the class going, hey, I couldn't help but praise Will for doing this. He went for this set's uh, rest scheme or whatever. What were you thinking there, Will? And I want him to like, hey, this is a platform for him to share what he his success story. Um, for instance, if something doesn't go right, say someone else doesn't do something too well, for instance, and I'll pull them aside and just somewhere, just walk them to the uh, the bubbler to get some water, and then we'll just have a quick chat and go, "Hey, what were you thinking on that one? Like, what was the strategy or what was the thought process behind this?" Because, because, da 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 da, and this is what I noticed, and then I give them an opportunity to speak about it. Um, I think it's deliverable the way you, the way that you obviously present yourself and making sure that you're not looking over them, you're sort of looking eye to eye with them. So it sounds like to me, you prefer praise in public and maybe more constructive criticism in private. Would you agree? I would agree. Yes. For the most part, uh, sometimes the format of the setting doesn't allow it though, you know, and you know, when it's, when we're pressed for time and we just got to get some stuff done and we're just running into, you know, the, for the most part, yes. The objective is that I think um, even when queuing as well, like if i I think I don't know if I've done this with or mentioned this in the last podcast, but for instance, when Tier and Matt used to train together, if I noticed Matt was doing something exceptionally well, and I'd love for that to be carried over to Tier, I would then highlight that for Matt or vice versa. You know, if Tia was doing something phenomenal, I'd go, for instance, like Tia, that ring muscle up, the lockouts you're doing in that, I love that. Like keep that up. It just looks snappy, elbows popping. I'll go, I'll go to town on my little delivery on that. And then as the other athlete, oh crap, he's like paying attention on that. I'm going to do that next set. Mm. You know, and that's when I'm reinforcing the positive and hopefully that, that gets heard on other athletes. Okay, I'm going to do that. See if he notices me. And then, you know, and I play that back and forward and, and hopefully that, uh, hopefully they listen to that. 
something else I pulled out that I love is that what you said that when you do the coaching in private, you start with questions. This is a big thing for me, Shane. And I don't know, I, I talk about this, this book a lot of my podcast, but have you read the book called the coaching habit? Uh, yes. Okay. But yeah. Don't incredible. Me on it, though. Oh no, I'm not, I'm not going to. Don't worry. <laughs> it's an incredible book. It talks all, all about you know the title is "Say Less, Ask More, Change the Way You Lead Forever." And I had the author on the show, and we talked about oh, the importance nice. of yeah, we talked about the importance of asking questions. Um, and yeah. and the first thing that you said was you ask when things when you're coaching constructive criticism, the first thing you say is you go through some questions. Talk to me about the importance of asking rather than just blurting out. Yeah, I think sometimes by just asking questions. You obviously get the answer you want, or there's something underlying. You can be learned from it as well. What was the impact of it, right? Um, and and my perspective is one perspective, and what they're actually going through could be something else. And this is that trust where we open up and allow them to be speaking truthfully to me, rather than sort of making excuses up. Is that you know I don't want, don't need to hear excuses. Just want to hear what your thought process was on it, and then. Um, allowing them to speak openly and know that it's not getting judged upon. And I think that's something that I've had to learn a lot on DJ. It's not, not just allowing myself to, to go in there with an objective or, or sorry, go in there or with a fixed mindset, allowing their answer to then absorb it, then to say something that I think would be of value. Because I think sometimes as coaches, we see some stuff Maybe eight times out of 10, we're right. For instance, like if it's a simple queuing of a war ball, like just, hey, knees out or lower, that's quite clear. We've already gone in there with the mindset of what we're going to say. But especially with the high-end athletes, uh, in fact, everyone should actually have an opportunity to explain what's going on and it could be different, right? Like they could have knee pain. And like, oh, crap, they're just protecting that. It's good to know. Like I won't go in there telling them or shouting out words. So um, it's just making sure that they're heard first and then not going in there with the closed mindset of an answer. Shane, what's your process like in developing skills for some of your athletes at, at, at your level? You're, you're working with some of the highest level athletes in the world. And I, and I know that their weaknesses are much more few and far in between, but let's say, you know, somebody like a Sydney Wells, they come in and they need to work on, and I'm not, I'm, I'm sure if this is yeah. the case, but let's just say her weaknesses ring muscles. Like you kind of mentioned, yeah. what's your approach. If somebody has a specific movement that they need improvement on. Do you have a framework that you like to lean on any sort of, I don't know, progression or step-by-step -step kind of way of thinking if there's one movement that's like, Shane, I got to work on my muscle-ups. Yeah, for sure. I, I think um, time and place for it, right? In the off season is where we spend a lot of time and progress on it. It's just because I don't want to overwhelm them or overload them just as important with doing that. We find ourselves leading into injury and then we end up doing, we end up going two steps backwards when that comes or a niggle. Um, or overwhelm them thinking that they've just fallen back, you know, in inside uh, in, in confidence where they've just lowered themselves going, oh, damn, I keep getting picked up or I'm not getting better at this CrossFit thing. So I think timing of it is huge. What I like to play around with is as well as coupling it with the strength of theirs. And hopefully none of the athletes are watching this. But for instance, uh, if uh, let's look at Sydney. So if, if we implement a, uh, a muscle-up portion, it'd be in small sets, obviously, and then we'll couple it with a strength of hers. We'll just put a machine with it and then, and great. So she gets to, she gets exposed and then she gets a small adaptation on, okay, how to approach this. She starts asking herself questions because the next movement is a no, it's a no thinker. She knows what to do. She's confident on it. She's actually excited because this will be her recovery piece, you know, and, and you can hear that dialogue through the athletes because when you ask them, hey, so how are you going to approach this? What's your thought process? They'll go, well, I'll just chip away. I'll do small sets on this and then the bike, I'll hit 65 RPM and I'll just go for it. And it's like, great. Well, like, let's just see how this plays out. And, and um, it's the progressions for it, right? We would look at, let's talk about gymnastics quite easy on this one because it, it, it's sort of, follow suit for most high school gymnastic pieces. We would do a strength protocol, like for instance, again, ring muscle-ups. Uh, we'd just go through like strict form, you know, like fundamentals of strict movement, uh, maybe some accessories or like transition or whatever that particular component requires. Uh, we would then isolate the movement. So let's look at an example. Uh, looking back at Sydney's training in my head. Uh, so every two minutes, five sets, we'll just do three to five reps. 
and then achieving that ideally unbroken right so then that's isolated movement and then we would then our third piece of the week would incorporate a workout just like i mentioned three rounds five ring muscle-ups 15 cal 30 seconds rest between sets you know and then I'm, we're implementing that in three different structures and then by the end of it we then retest something that is daunting them and then we have that conversation with them hey you got your benchmark test of 30 ring muscle-ups for time Let's see how this plays out. You're going to get minimal cues from us because we want you to also figure it out and lean on your athleticism. And I think that's something we've learned as well recently as well is allowing the athlete to do the thinking because once they're away on the floor, they're going to fall back onto their own thought process because as soon as plan A goes out the window, they're thinking of their own plan B, their own plan C. And they need to be, they need to be confident in that and identify when that moment happens they know what to do. They can't look to the left or look to the right for a coach to go, hey, do singles or so to speak. And I've learned this throughout my journey as well. What mistakes do you think people make when you, we're talking about skill progression? Maybe they don't yeah. have a coach. Maybe they do. What are some mistakes people make when they're trying to get better at ring muscle-ups? Yeah, it's tough, right? Like, I, It's really hard to sit here and critique someone if you don't know what their thought process was or identify what the athlete is after. Um, commonly we see that they just throw more reps at themselves at it, right? Like I'm not good at ring muscle ups. You know what I'm going to do this week? I'm going to do a thousand. Right. Right. You know, and, and it, this doesn't translate over to the sport. Like if you think when ring muscle ups are implemented in workouts, they're normally, uh, a critical component in the workout. Um, so like for instance, Sydney Wells had at her granite games or 30 ring muscle ups in the middle of the workout or, you know, early in the workout. So it's a big portion of the workout and ended up being the separating component for the most part in the women's field. Uh, and then we look at the one at Mac, I think it opened up with 18 ring muscle ups, right? For the men, it's a different, I'm just talking more for the women, but for the women, it ended up being a big component because whoever was coming off the rings ended up taking away or leading for the most part of the workout, right? So it's a significant portion in the workout um yeah so i think coming back and implementing your weakness or implementing the muscle-ups in game scenarios um and not neglecting the fundamentals you know like there's a reason why you're having trouble connecting them let's go back to the fundamentals pull apart start recording some of your workouts under fatigue what we see as well is that people people move well one to three reps but after your heart rate's blowing we start seeing form breakdown we start losing position and then it's like okay let's go back to the fundamentals why are we losing our midline connection like why why is that there um so it's testing them under fatigue is the biggest portion right like and that's why we keep informing these athletes more now than ever because the games are so close it's like guys I want you to be so good that even on your worst day, even on your tiredest day, you're better than that, better than them on their best day. So we need to move well under fatigue and identify that this is a big component throughout a CrossFit Games weekend. So having our conversations and then putting, again, coming back to a lot of the conversations that we're talking about is identifying and then having purpose behind everything. I think a, a misconception could be, you know, uh, I can do muscle-ups really well when I am feeling fresh, but when I'm fatigued then they start to fall apart, which it, for yeah. most people, that, that I mean, that's kind of how life works, right? But instead, but then their, yeah. thought process, their thought process is, well, then I just need to keep practicing them under fatigue state. And maybe there's yeah. a little bit of truth to that, but in reality, what we probably need to do is the exact opposite. We probably need to dial things way, way back and go through your technique, movement, movement economy, and your efficiency so that looking ahead when fatigue does hit and you have 30 in the middle of a workout, then they don't look like garbage. So it, it, sometimes yeah. it's sometimes it's a different frame of mind of, yeah, when they get bad, I, you know, it's not so good when I got a high heart rate. So I got to kind of uh, simulate that in training. Maybe that's not the case. For sure. I, I think you're right, yeah. but there's, there's a time and place for it too, right? So, for instance, uh, how close we are to the games, on areas where the athletes need to work on, we can't go back to the fundamentals. And I see the trap, right? We don't have the time no longer for it. So, it's, it's that we must build them up confidently to be the best prepared they can be for it, or pre more prepared than they thought they were, right? And confidence is a big thing mentally. Um, and 
and that seems to be a tricky component, especially with the amount of like where the, some of our athletes are, you know, it's just they're coming back from a significant injury and exposure to those movements could uh, put them back a week or two, right, with the amount of time to recover from that. So it's it's more isn't always better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Something I really want to get into today as we kind of get close to time here is I've been thinking yeah. a lot about this idea of Shane of a balanced champion. And, you know, with social media nowadays and, and these documentaries and Netflix, it's been really cool to see things inside the life of like, you know, a Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. And you see some of their Michael Phelps, you see their obsession in their sport. And the way that everything that they do is centered around being the best that they can possibly be in the sport. You know, they talk about Mamba mentality with Kobe, with with Jordan's documentary. You know, a lot of people weren't actually big fans of the guy. He wasn't. He didn't have a lot of friends, but he didn't give a shit. He wanted to win. And my the question or the topic that I've been kind of mulling over my head, and I still am today, and I want to get your thoughts on it, Shane. Is is it possible to be a champion in CrossFit and live a balanced life? Or is that kind of thrown out the window because you need to be all in on what you're doing? Talk to me a little bit about that. Let's see where it goes. Yeah. Fortunately, I've had, I've had the liberty of spending a lot of time with Fraser and obviously Tia. So there is a lot of similar traits with when you describe, let's say, Kobe and, and Jordan for that matter. Right? It's, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to select the words carefully here. Obsession. Um, or it becomes a lifestyle where they become they need to become selfish in a lot of aspects where most people would be more considerate. And it's not that they're rude; it's just that their vision is so clear. They know what they they know their daily intent or their purpose is. And and I think it's I think it's it's crazy and phenomenal to watch that. And I don't think the word sacrifice comes to mind or is in the same conversation because they're so deliberate and and clear of what they're doing. They don't see it as a sacrifice. They just see it as this is the path. This is the only path. This is what I have to do. I'm not giving up anything. This is what I signed up for. This is what I want to do. So sacrifice doesn't come to mind. And, uh, and for the most part, it's sort of how I see see it for myself as well because I've been consumed in it and, and it's been, you know, absorbed it as well. So I feel like it, it is our lifestyle. It's all we see, right? Like when, but it's important though to find some balance over when you come home and switching off as well, but you never completely switch off, right? Like you're always thinking about small components, what's coming up, what I'm sure that even when they're relaxing, they're mobilizing so that they can be ready for tomorrow again. You know, a lot of conversations like that. So, I mean, I'd love to see what you think about it from the outside looking in or, or, or even from your experience. Like, is there anything that you want to add on that? I think the, when I think about Kobe, I think about somebody who was obsessed with the game. He worked tirelessly. He was always the first guy at the gym, you know, in some some articles or some people would say maybe he wasn't the best family man because he was very focused on his career. And then when he retired, it seemed like, and again, I don't know, Kobe, but this is just kind of what it seemed like just from his documentaries and things. Once he retired, he really got invested and obsessed with family life and raising daughters and being able to be more a part of them. And then tragically, he dies very early. Still shakes me up, gives me goosebumps when I think about it. But my thought, Shane, I know I'm getting really deep on this topic here, but I'm thinking to myself, if I had a chance to talk to Kobe right now, would he have the conversation and say, you know what, I, I, if I were to do it all over again, I wouldn't have been so obsessed with the sport. I would have taken more time to be with my family, et cetera. Or would he say, you know what, I wouldn't regret one minute of being a Laker, putting everything on the floor, winning six, five titles, whatever it was. That's kind of my thought is, is because, you know, he didn't get a chance to be in his daughter's life very much. And then he dies early. Is there regret there? What does that look like? And I think what a lot of it comes mm-hmm. back to Shane, the more I think about it, you can tell I've thought about this for a while is I think it comes back to what matters most to you. If winning yeah. matters most to him, 
then his actions are going to be able to follow that. If family is more important, you know, your priorities, your schedule follows your priorities. So if that's not important to him right now, maybe it's a different time in his life. Every, every season has different priorities, but I'd just be curious to know if he'd have any kind of regrets knowing that he didn't really get to invest his total amount of time with his kids. Yeah. I mean, that's tough. I, I, but I feel like where, where they are in their time, they can't regret it either. Right? Like, I mean, it's easy to reflect back and go, I regret that. But that's why you got to be confident in the decisions that you make and, and be proud of them as well, right? Like it, the day-to-days are important. Being present and making sure that you understand what you're doing and being present is a big part of what we try to achieve as well. If we're thinking too far ahead or thinking too far back, we're just distracted from where we're currently at as well. Yeah, good point. You talked a little bit about uh, coming home and, and switching gears. I'm curious with, with, we talk about this having some sort of a balance with you and Tia, how do you guys, it, when you come home, is it like, hey, we're not going to talk about CrossFit. We're going to watch some Netflix. We're going to, is there time to unplug? Is it, how do you guys find balance with not being obsessed with the sport? For sure. Um, and a little truth in the Tia, she doesn't even like training. It's, it's not like, it's, it's nothing she enjoys. It's, and I don't know. What do you mean by know. that? She doesn't like CrossFit training. Like she thinks <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> I, I think it's just it's fascinating because I'm upset here too. A lot of the time, going, damn, did I do this to her? Did I make mm-hmm. her hate training? But I think it's just because she it's not work, but she knows she loves competing, right? She loves she's a competitor, and I don't think part of training is she knows the importance of training. She just doesn't like training. So when we come home, it's easy not to talk about training for her particularly. Um, and from my mindset, like I'm still digesting or starting to look through the next day or I'm thinking about the current day or what we could have done differently. So I just got to make sure I switch off for sure and um, just and talk about what's currently happening on Netflix, right? Like we're right now we're watching Strange Things. I think it's Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what we're deep into that. So that seems to be consuming our time. but. You know, like fascinating enough. Like, yeah, she doesn't like training. You know, obviously, um, she just loves competing. So she sees the importance of it. So knowing that as well, and that, you know, that's the big cue where I talk about them, you know, like, hey, like, it's about being prepared so we can compete at our best, you know, and that's when we start changing the dialogue again. Do you ever have conversations with your athletes? Maybe it's with Tia or the other athletes about burnout. Is a, is burnout something that's in your mind a lot that you try to convey with your athletes? Is, is it a concern? And if mm. so, how do you communicate that? How do you talk through that? Yeah. So th- when I look at the entire CrossFit season, I look at where I can maximize recovery, rest, and, um, and time outside the gym. So when, because when they had the sanctionals, man, like that was an event every month or every second weekend. Right. And there was like prize money to be had. And everyone's sort of like, but I could make this in the off season. I could do that. And we got consumed by it too, but, but it's important for the longevity and the health of the sport, especially for the athlete, that they must understand what they're doing it for. Like what means most to you? Where do you want to be your fittest? Great. So if that's the plan. This period here, I want you, not to come into the gym just do whatever makes you feel happy if that means going for a hike and then seeing some of the country go be it or go do it sorry um if you want to go do f45 or barry's boot camp love that go do it go do a spin class you know if that's just something experiment and have some fun with friends go do that what i don't want you to do is come into the gym and work on your weaknesses because that's not helping you you know like your mental state is so important and i think to brought this up the other day about rich rich always said like physically i can keep going and winning more championships mentally it's it's taken a toll and that's what that's the challenging component you know so it's and then you see other professions like other sports as well that seems to be a big component unless they're obviously injury prone but for the most part like mentally staying with it it's such a big big driver and the biggest component to be conscious of so for me delegating or navigating conversations around it and expressing to them like hey it's important mentally even for your hormones to just rest for two weeks don't even think about it go do something else like even after the games for for as long as i can remember we we would try maximize or stretch that out for the biggest part and i put no emphasis on the open absolutely none all we had to do for the most part here 
top 30 in the nation. That's all we care about. Um, then we found out, okay, maybe it has to be more than top 30 because they seed you in heats. Like, damn, okay, now top eight in the country. That's all you need to aim for. Like, don't even think about that. Um, so, like, we would maximize two, six to eight weeks. Yeah, six to eight weeks off, completely no gym, and then just do whatever makes her feel happy on a day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Has she ever felt, yeah. do you think she's ever felt burnt out? Oh, for sure. And I what think, do you think, think, what do you think works best for her? When she, when she comes to you and says, man, I'm, bur- I'm just burnt out. Yeah. I don't think she'll ever admit burnout. I think that's <laughs> her, for her, like that's just a sign of weakness, you know, like, um, for her burnout, burnout, you can just see in the body language, right? Like a lot of, a lot of negative tone in, in things like, like, oh boy, here we go again. You know, just like statements like that, like, oh, another one or whatever it may be. Um. I think especially with the bobsled was a big component of that. Like the two off seasons were spent overseas, um, taking a lot of our time up. There wasn't any rest. Like you're going from CrossFit where you're on top of the world, you know, and I mean that in a humble sense, you know, it's the ranking current system. And then you go to a new sport and you're learning everything for the first time. So it's really requiring a lot of your energy to be conscious thinking about that but there's a lot of carryover still like they're still doing squat progression sprinting sled pushes you know a lot of plyometrics so a lot of still had a lot of carryover for crossfit so there really wasn't any switch off and then even when tia went to the olympics for weightlifting like throughout competitions she was doing meets you know cutting weight strength progressions weightlifting cycles and then traveling as well so uh, um so yeah, it, knowing that, and then even the sanctions where, where there was um, a lot of competitions outside of the regular season, right? That was so demanding. I think knowing that, um, that's where these conversations start coming out and going, hey, what's most important to us? What do we want from the season? What would a successful season look like for you? And then they share the information with you and go, great. I'm going to go walk away and I'm going to set up a schedule and a year looks like that and I'll come back and let's talk about it. Um, and then they got to be on board with it. That's the biggest thing, right? Like, I don't want them to be half in on, in on it. I need them to, to be like, okay, we'll do this together. Like, this, is, this makes sense to me. Um, but you're right. Navigating that seems to be a big component. I think if, if we were to keep the trajectory with the sanctions, it would have been such a big turnover in athletes. It would have been huge because everyone would be looking for the quick dollar. And I don't blame them, right? Like that's, we talk about CrossFit being a professional sport, but you know, if, if we had to do, if we had to do some quick math, how many athletes would be making over a hundred K, including, including prize money. I would hope to think right now we're around 20, but I'd love to see 30, love to see 40 in the next couple of years, you know? So it's, it's longevity in the sports success as well. And, and the athletes. Yeah. Last question, Shane, what do you think that proven, what are two to three things that you think proven does really well compared to other people? Yeah. Um, again, this is, this is more from my perspective, right? Like it's not me identifying what others aren't doing better or anything like that. What I pride myself on is our coaching staff. I got a team around me that are phenomenal. Um, they're experts in their field, and I lean on them. Um, another aspect is that we're there every day. We spend time with our athletes. We identify. We we work on progressions together, meaning that we we use the tools or use the data which the athletes share to enhance our next progression cycle. We we'll use that as a metrics and bearing, and and um, a lot of it. And then the third thing is is that. We build these relationships with these guys outside of the gym as a big component or a secret objective of mine as well as relationships. You know, when we spoke about it earlier, how important that is to me and how important that is to the athlete without them realizing, you know, and I want them to have a network or a system around them that allows them to feel like they have trust, allow that they understand that they're not alone, but we want them to know that. So a big component for me, and this is a bit more off topic, but. One of the big draw cards for me when I'm like looking at a team around me, especially with like coaching or hiring anyone like that, I want to make sure that their intent or their nature is is that they literally give their shirt off the back of them 
to give it to the athlete to make sure that they know their priorities are for the athlete. So that's that's the trait that I look for, and um, I've been fortunate and successful in, in finding coaching and and team that think that way. Yeah, that's servant leadership. Like we talked about, man, that's who you are. You're a servant leader. It's incredible. It's admirable. It's awesome, man. I think it also goes to show too, you guys went out to Australia to do the first round of semifinals, and then you traveled to two other semifinals and you were on camera cheering and you were involved and in, in that goes, that's, that's servant leadership, man. You did not have to go to both of those semifinals and travel and do those things. But you care. You want other athletes to be, you know, aware that you care. That's a big component, man. No, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, like it's, I didn't really. I mean, I, I was aware that I was going to the semifinals, but I wasn't conscious of like what that would look like. So I appreciate that a lot. Absolutely, Shane. Thanks for taking the time, man. Um, anything that you want to promote, proven anything, any projects, anything that's going on right now with your in your world? Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Um. Obviously, I want to thank you. Thanks again for taking the time to to speak to me. I, I do appreciate our conversations. I think they, in fact, they actually motivate me or at least allow me to think outside the square again. You know, like a lot of the time, you just having conversations like this allow me to think differently as well. And, and I'm about that. I like being challenged and thinking about other aspects of coaching as well. I think that's been a big key to helping me succeed. And I appreciate that. Um, and also, I appreciate you for taking the second time second run with me so hopefully this one does well as as well as the other one that'd be nice that's right one and two <laughs> yeah i hope so cool anything else you want to promote with proven no man i appreciate that no i mean i think everyone knows where they could I, mean, I hope everyone knows where they can find it um but i do appreciate everyone supporting the brand as well cool. hey, awesome shane thanks for taking the time good luck at the crossword games thanks dj